This morning's scripture readings come from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 29 to 42, and 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31. The first section is from John, the Lamb of God. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples and he watched Jesus walk by and he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have to, fi- we have to find the Messiah, which translates means anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of God. You are to be called Cephas, meaning Peter. And in 1 Corinthians, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is, he is the source of your life in Jesus Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, it is, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Mike work. Can you hear me? I don't know how this thing. Okay. Travis is out. <laughs> Y'all mind if we pray? I'm really nervous. Lord, I thank you that you are here. Um, God, I do ask that you would take away my nerves. Um, oh, gosh. Please. Can you hear me? Lord. Lord, please help this microphone to work, and please help um, me to get, of the way, get out of the way. Um, we know that you're always here with us, 
but be especially present to us during this time. God, let the words that come out of my mouth, and the meditations out of all of our hearts, be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, so, I, um, more than anything, don't have any profound words of wisdom today, but I do have two great stories that I'd love to share. And I told Jackie I was worried that it was going to take too long, so I'm going to set a timer, but if y'all get to where you're squirming, just throw tomatoes or something. (laughs) Hopefully it won't take forever. Uh, The first story that means a lot to me is one from the Moth podcast. Uh, Anybody listen to the Moth? It's a a really fun one. Yeah, look at y'all. We... um, I, I live by myself, and when you do, sometimes having a podcast or an audiobook is... I, the silence and the solitude is welcome, but sometimes something to break the silence is awesome. Uh, this story was told by Karen Crowley. She lived in a suburb of, of Boston. Um, this story takes place back in the 1970s. Um, in the family that Karen grew up in, uh, nobody went to college, and she felt intimidated by the people around her. Boston has a whole lot of good schools, I guess. Um, she felt really intimidated by the people around her who went to college. Um, she, right after high school, took a job. Um, she didn't have a car, so she, she was just looking for something that she could get to. And she took a job at a residential treatment center for uh, youth and adolescents, uh, children and adolescents with behavioral and mental health challenges. Um, her job was a clerical job. She'd mostly answer the phones, schedule appointments, that sort of thing. She loved this job. It... Uh, she had a desk in a central location in the center and uh, had a lot of free time. So as the kids would go through whatever activities they had going on, they would congregate around Karen's desk. She would, not having anything to do, have the best opportunity to talk to them and get to know them real well. Um, as, as she got to know the, know the kids and got to love them more, she started volunteering for extra things way beyond her job duties. Uh, they would want to take a trip, uh, the younger ones, to a, to a park, and Karen would offer to be the adult chaperone, or somebody might need uh, somebody to accompany them to go to a doctor's appointment, and Karen would offer to go. After a few years, she was doing great in this job, and she decided, uh, she didn't decide, her bosses came to her and asked, hey, would you like to move out of the clerical role and become one of our regular full-time staff members? Um, Karen thought this is the coolest thing ever, and, and she signed up for it. Um, I, I, I don't know how that works today, but in the 70s, I guess, uh, she, she felt really unqualified because she hadn't gone to college, but she was excited for the chance. So she started serving in, in roles that were new to her, things that she was, she did feel unqualified for. She got to facilitate group counseling sessions and, and all sorts of great things. A few years into this role, another thing came up that she said terrified her. She said um, the center that she worked for decided to hire an intern, and this intern was somebody who had just completed his master's degree in uh, clinical psychology, and he needed some supervised hours of counseling so that he could become a, a licensed therapist. And Karen was supposed to be his supervisor, but Karen had never been to college, and, and Karen she, she felt really intimidated by this guy in, in the story. You should listen to the podcast. She tells the story way better than I could. <laughs> she says that not only had he been to college, not only had he been to get a master's degree, but he also drove a BMW, and she found that really intimidating. <laughs> but 
uh, Karen said, to be his supervisor was really intimidating because she felt like if I give him any advice at all, he's going to see right through me for the fraud that I am, and he's going to go tell my boss, as if, as if her bosses didn't realize her educational background. But, but she thought that Brian, Brian was the name of this intern, would, would turn her in. So she didn't say much of anything to give advice. Well, a few weeks into Brian's tenure of his internship, um, Karen walks into the dining room, and what she sees is a terrifying crisis. Jimmy, Jimmy is one of their older students, a 17-year-old who broke into the kitchen and stole a steak knife. Jimmy was standing on the dining room table waving the steak knife and shouting obscenities. Karen was scared, but as Karen looked through the window, she saw that Brian was standing right beside Jimmy, and she breathed a sigh of relief. <sighs> Brian's got this. Brian, Brian is the master clinician. He, he is going to know exactly what to say to resolve this tension. Um, so she stepped back, and, and Brian stepped up. And she said what Brian said was, Now, Jimmy, I think it's really important that we recognize that these feelings you're having stem from your abandonment issues caused by your mother. <laughs> Needless to say, that did not resolve the tension by any means. But something clicked inside Karen's brain. Something snapped, and she realized this crisis, what this needed, was not somebody to have the perfect diagnosis, somebody to have the right answers. What this crisis needed, what Jimmy needed, was somebody who cared about him who could wake him up, um, not do anything to invalidate his pain or his anxiety, but, but let him know that the way that he's responding to that anxiety is not the healthiest way that he can. So Karen stepped into the room, and she said, Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, what the hell are you doing? Anybody else scandalized that I just said? Uh, maybe that's just me. But, but Karen said that in her story, so I felt safe to... <laughs> Karen said, Jimmy, what the hell are you doing? And, and Jimmy said, oh, you're here. And he set down the knife, and he climbed down off the table, and then they talked it out. And Karen said that for the rest of her 40-plus year career serving in uh, behavioral health, she never, never again felt intimidated by an intern. She felt like she knew that she had earned her place, and she knew what she could do. Um, can I confess but this church intimidates me a lot. Um, I, since, since I moved here, Jackie did say it, I, I moved here because I wanted to come to this church, and I love this church. We have got a lot of wisdom and expertise in this church, um, and we find ourselves in a crisis. You know, I, I am intimidated when I come on Wednesdays to go to choir. We have got some incredibly talented people in our choir. Um, I love that song. Um, I got to sing it too. But the, the people in our choir that I sit around, like, they will see the words on the page and see the music, and they will hear it in their head before David or b before Christine's ever played anything. And that's intimidating to me because I've got to hear it, like, 75 times before I'm going to know any notes. But also, like, we've got some incredible athletes in our choir who could hold a note for, like, 10 years. But... <laughs> I, I breathe in all of the wrong places. <laughs> our, our choir intimidates me, but I love getting to be a part of it. Um, and, and I'm willing to not be the best, but enjoy getting to be a part of it. Um, 
our church council intimidates me. And I, I, I love some days getting to be a part of it. But some days it, it is an overwhelming crisis that we find ourselves in as a church. One that is every bit as real as Jimmy standing on a table. Um, one where we'd all sometimes feel like shouting obscenities. <laughs> um, it is an intimidating time. And, and I would love to step back and, and say, hey, Brian, Brian is the master clinician. Brian has got this. Brian's going to diagnose the situation and say exactly what we need. Um, I, I don't know, like Karen in this story, I wonder if maybe we don't need Brian as much as we need permission to be Jimmy, and we need to be Karen for each other. We need permission to be in pain together. But also we need to see each other and tell each other, oh, Jimmy, I care about you. And sometimes the ways that we respond to the things that we're going through are not the most healthy. And sometimes being able to wake each other up is, is a healthy thing for us to do as well. One of our scriptures for today comes from 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, it says, Consider your own call, siblings. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Looked away. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I, I wonder if, if the crisis that we find ourselves in right now is one where God is whispering to us to be like Karen, to not be the expert, but to step into the room and be there with each other. I wonder if God is maybe whispering us, just like Micah 6, that this is a time to do justice, to love mercy, and maybe most importantly right now, to walk humbly with our God. That humility that gives us the courage to be vulnerable, to be in pain together. And being in pain together is something that God can use to heal each of us. I love that response that Jimmy has to Karen in, in her story. He says, he looks at, Karen said, she, he looked at me and he said, oh, you're here. And then it was all okay. I think there's this look that we give each other sometimes. I think it starts with the eyebrows. And they raise and, and then as the eyebrows come back down, the, the eyes light up and, and then, then the cheeks rise. And then it turns into a, a full smile. And I think it's a nonverbal communication that says, oh, oh. You're here. Oh, you're here. And it's going to be okay. Oh, you're here. 
my day is infinitely better because I get to spend an hour of it with you. Oh, you're here. And I can take a breath. I think that that, that story is, is one that means a lot to me. There's another story that's, that's meant a lot to me. Again, I told you I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of audiobooks. This other story is one that's several hundred years old. Um, interestingly enough, it, it was, it's, it's a Japanese story. It was used as propaganda during World War II, but, but I wouldn't hold that against it. Um, but it's a really good story. It's, it's about a tiny boy named Momotaro. Um, it starts with a woman who is, uh, she's walking by a river, and she, see, she sees a peach that's bobbing up and down in the river, and she reaches down, and she grabs the peach. She takes the peach home. This is an amazing find. She goes to her kitchen, and she's just about to take a bite of the peach when she hears a voice coming from the peach that says, Don't eat me! (laughs) She's terrified, and she leaves the peach on the kitchen table. And then the peach hatches like an egg, and out of it pops a little boy. A little boy who says, The gods have heard your cries for a son, for a child, and the gods sent me to you. And Karen was, or this isn't Karen, right? Sure, her name could be Karen. Um, this, this, this woman uh, is terrified, but she's so thankful. And this child brings so much joy to her life. But life is hard because there's this island of, of Oni, um, giant demon ogres that uh, are oppressing the land. Um, they, they would come across the ocean and and then they would attack villages, and they would take away captives and take them back to their island. She, she names this child... I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. She names this child Momotaro. Momo is peach, and, and Taro is like son, peach boy. So she, she names him Momotaro, and when Momotaro turns 15, Momotaro tells his mom, why is nobody standing up to these oni? Momotaro is tiny. He came out of a peach. But his mom says... Nobody's standing up to him. I don't know. Momotaro says, I think my destiny might be to stand up to these oni. And his mom is terrified because he's tiny, and what can one tiny child do to protect the world from these oni? But she believes that the gods gave her Momotaro and that the gods might use him for this quest as well. So she makes a bunch of dumplings, and she blesses him, and she sends him on his way to the island of the oni. And as Momotaro is walking, he sees, he sits down to rest, and a dog comes, a gigantic, ferocious dog. This dog says, give me your dumplings, or I'm going to eat you. And Momotaro says, once again, please don't eat me. Momotaro says, I'll share these dumplings with you, but I'm on a quest. That I've got this mission that's really important, so please don't hinder me from this mission. And the dog asks, what's going on? Momotaro says, there's this island of Oni, this island of giant demons that are attacking people, and nobody will stand up to them, so I'm going to go stand up to them. And the dog says, you know, I've been thinking somebody ought to do something about these demons, but I thought if I went alone, nobody would, I couldn't make a difference. But if you're going to go, can I go with you? And they start walking. And a little further in their journey, they hit a forest, and they see a monkey, and the same thing happens. This time the monkey tries to trick them out of their dumplings. Momotaro says, we'll share the dumplings with you, but please don't hinder us. We're, we're on this quest. 
to liberate the captives from this island of demons. And the monkey says, oh, you know, I've been thinking somebody ought to do something about this island of demons. But I thought if I went on my own, nobody would, I couldn't make a difference. Do you mind if I go with you? Sure, that'd be great. And they keep going. And, and a little bit later, a pheasant swoops down out of the air to try to attack the dumplings. These are, must be the most amazing dumplings. This, this pheasant is trying to take the dumplings. And Mopatomara says, we'll, we'll share these dumplings with you, but please don't hinder us on our quest. Because we've got to go and liberate the captives from this island of the Oni. And the pheasant says, you know, I've been thinking somebody ought to do something about these Oni. But by myself, what could I have done? But if y'all are going to go, I'd love to join you. So the four of them set off. And it's a perilous journey, because dogs sometimes like to eat pheasants. <laughs> and, and it's a perilous journey, because pheasants sometimes treat the people on the ground like they're not as valuable, because pheasants can fly there, get there way faster if they go it alone. And it's a perilous journey, because monkeys sometimes play practical jokes on their tra- traveling companions. I don't know if you know that about monkeys. They, they sometimes play practically, I don't have a clue. They, they squabble frequently on their journey. But Momotaro says to them every time, the mission that we've been called to is bigger than the things that divide us. And after a breath, they continue on their journey. They get to the island of the Oni. I guess they find a boat and, and row across. And they hide until nightfall. And then the, the pheasant flies over. There, there's this castle with gigantic walls. And the pheasant flies over and scouts out everything, sees that all of the Oni have gone to sleep. He come, the pheasant comes back and draws a map for everybody and says, this is where the bedroom of the chief of the Oni lives. But they're all asleep now. And so the monkey, who's more agile than anybody, climbs over the walls and creeps around and blows out all of the lamps so that nobody could be, wo- could be awakened. And then the monkey finds a back gate and opens the gate. And then Momotaro and the gigantic dog creep in through the gate and find the bedroom of the chief of the Oni. And the dog leans right over the neck of the chief of the Oni. And then Momotaro wakes that chief up and says, You've got to let go of your captives, or else this dog's going to bite down. And the chief of the Oni, terrified for his life, says, Anything you ask, please just don't eat me. (laughs) And Momotaro, and the pheasant, and the monkey, and the dog return home with the captives as heroes for the rest of their days. I love this story. I, I, I love so much about this story. Mataro is, is someone that reminds me of Karen in this story, somebody that might not have a lot to bring to the table. Makes me think of, of our other gospel passage, uh, chapter 1 of John. John the Baptist is somebody who's got influence, who's everyone is listening to what John the Baptist is saying. John the Baptist is saying, come out to the desert and take a bath because the kingdom of God is coming. Um, for some reason that, that catches on. People really like what John's saying. This part of the gospel, Jesus hasn't said a word But John sees Jesus walking, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. John says that to John's disciples, and some of them say, I'd rather be following Jesus. 
Andrew, and, and then Andrew gets his brother Simon, who we call Peter. I think that John is one who's characterized by zeal, characterized by passion, and that passion turns into influence. And that influence, John says, that's not mine. That is in service of this great mission. And this great mission involves pointing people toward Jesus, who's going to tell us all, you are loved by God, more than you could ever imagine. Points toward Jesus, who's going to tell us all to love our neighbors. John has that zeal, has that passion, has some expertise. Points people to Jesus, who encourages us to be selfless and loving. I think that that's what our church needs. One of the things that our church needs. You know, it was voiced in, in that informational meeting that, um, that we are in a period of hurting, where we've lost some trust. And we don't gain that trust by saying, trust me. But we do build that trust again by saying, we're on a mission. We're on a mission that's bigger than anything that we could be going through. And the things that we're going through are huge. But with, the, with God, we will set the table for all who hunger and thirst. And that's bigger than anything that we're going through. We, we worship a God who cares about all of our needs. And part of the human condition is that we all have needs that are unmet. Hungering and thirsting are pretty simple ones. Not, not simple for everybody. But hungering and thirsting, but we also have needs for shelter and for safety. We have needs for belonging, for community. We have needs for meaning and self-actualization. We have these needs, and we worship a God who wants to set the table so that those needs can be met. That's bigger than the things that, that are hurting. But I do think we need permission to be Jimmy. We, we do need permission to say, I need a breath. I need to scream my obscenities. Sometimes we do. But I think we also, we also need Karen. And I think it all begins, that healing begins with that look that we give each other that says, oh, you're here. It's all going to be okay. You know, some of us have, have taken some time to step away from the church, and, and that's important. That's, uh, taking care of ourselves means a lot. We've been through a hell of a year. I got to say that word again. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, we have been through a hard, hard year. And there are faces that we don't see today that's, that are devastating. But I think if we can find the courage to be vulnerable, the courage to be in pain together, and to carry out our mission, God is, is going to use you to heal me if we're here. God might use me to heal you if we're here. God is going to heal all of us so that we can carry out this big mission. It all begins with that look. Oh, you're here. And it's all going to be okay. And I'm going to heal. Oh, you're here. And we're here. And God is here. Amen? Amen. Thanks.